You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. For those who don't know me, I'm uh, Tim, the campus pastor here at Central. (laughs) Thank you, Opal. Um, And uh, hey, today we are kicking off our new series called Touchpoints. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be unpacking the importance of relationships. And uh, it's something that affects us all, those touch points with others. They're they're a vital aspect of all of our lives. Now, we may have had amazing experiences when it comes to relationships or, you know, life-defining disasters. Right now, we may be at a place where we're lonely or, you know, we might have the most awesome people all around us, but um, whatever our situation is, relationships affects us all. So to help me today, um, we're going to talk to these amazing relationship experts, and we're going to unpack specifically the area around family dynamics. So um, uh, to kick things off, I'd be real keen if you guys just could tell us a little bit about yourselves, introduce yourself. Um, Pastor Sai, we'll start with you. Probably don't need an introduction, but tell us something new about Well, I am Pastor Sai, a teaching pastor here, and perhaps my big piece of news this month is that Karen and I enjoy celebrating our 35th wedding anniversary. um, Worth celebrating. You know, love being a daddy and a granddaddy twice, and you know, I think I'm still in the learning curve about relationship, but at the end of the day, I have a bit of history. Now that I'm 200 years old, I can look back over, and I can see how important it has been for my own life and uh, relationship enrichment to have these conversations that uh, emphasize the touch point of relating, because we are not in the... I don't know, religion, religion. We're not in the ritual religion. We are in the relationship faith. And how we connect to each other and God is of supreme importance. Fantastic. Caroline? Hey, I'm Caroline. Um, Many of you might know us from serving in Kids Church. So my husband and I, Jono, served up in Kids Church for six years and then recently um, as regional pastors for Central 2. And this year, um, I've just stepped into the role as a Next Steps pastor. So my role here at Life is to look after the runnings of Next Steps over all our campuses. I am married to um, a lovely man called Jono. We have three kids. Now, I have an 11-year-old, and I know you're going to go, she's too young to have an 11-year-old. I do. Um, So I have an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old. Um, hey guys, my name is um, Jono. I am not uh, Caroline's <laughs> Jono, just so that, just so that we're clear. Um, it's important he, differentiation. He, he, he's an awesome, awesome man. Um, but yes, I, I, I'm Jono. I'm recently married. Um, yes, thank you, the one person that cheered for me. That's great. That's but, his yeah. wife, and I. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, yeah, I, I tell people she liked me so much that she had to put a ring on it. So uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm on staff here at Life. I uh, get the privilege of assisting Pastor Paul as a personal assistant, and I'm also one of the pastors here on staff as well. And you do an amazing job, Jono. Hey, so to set the scene today, I'm going to throw it to Pastor Sai, and what I'm keen for is just to um, start off by outline what God's intention, his plan for family and family relationships was. 
an easy question on such a broad topic, but let's begin to uh, find some clarity on this idea because, you know, we come to the table of faith and in a large church like this, we've got all kinds of expectations and histories represented here. So we want to kind of uh, gain some clarity and go forward from there with an understanding that I hope will serve everybody, whatever stage of life or season, even in family, you find yourself. Um, though to begin this idea, you know, here we are in a first world Western nation, um, and we uh, kind of derive this idea from the first world egalitarian, individualistic, material, secular culture all around us that we're all these uh, individual self-seeking cogs in a great big machine called society or economy. And while we can perhaps connect to that model, the real model I want to point us toward is this idea that comes with our whole conversation called touchpoint. We're in the relationship faith. And there is a divine design behind relating and family. And so getting us back and away from maybe this model I presented to you of cogs in the machine, individuals disconnected but playing some part in a bigger system, it's much more like the body model you see in the Bible, where we're individual cells, but we are well connected to one another and derive support and life-sustaining benefit from one another. We are not an island cut off from others. We are not in isolation. It's God who began that conversation in the garden countless centuries ago when he said, not good to be isolated, not good for man to be disconnected and separate from. And so he created the union, the unity that produces the family. So this is God's idea. We're finding clarity again with that idea in mind. Add, add to this, you know, being that we're social creatures, humans derive psychological and material benefit where others invest into them in the most vulnerable beginnings. And so we are groomed, we are grown in a family developmentally. And we derive benefit from that. Because we are, as we discussed in our last series on unmasking, um, Part of the concern and vulnerability in our lives is that we have a craving for validation. We want to know that we are loved, that we belong to somebody's somewhere, and that our lives matter, and that we have significance to bring to life. And this is best fostered in God's first system called family. Uh, and so we recognize there's no perfect family, and we're a long way from what may have been the intent once upon a time, but we can find that path again, and we can realign. It's not too late to do this. Uh, I've got a slide that begins to unpack this idea. If you'll bear with me, you know how I am. But even on a panel, we have yet the board. So moving to that, I hope that this will help you think of it rather like a road map. You know, if you want to go to somewhere, you need to know where you're wanting to go, and it helps to know how to get there, right? You just don't get in a car and start driving aimlessly. So we want to take a look at what's the divine design. You know, the original definition in the dictionary is rather dry, rather spartan and pragmatic. And it says that, you know, to, to reproduce and then to invest and develop and cultivate that offspring and socialize them to the, to the next stage. And I think that's what our body does. We reproduce cells in a living organism. Generationally, we reproduce them. We want them to be healthy, stable, to bring benefit. And so it is with the divine design of family. But let's unpack it a little bit more than just the dry definition in a dictionary. When I think of the bigger picture here, follow along and see what we're hoping to achieve and how we can even do this in the family of faith 
and how we can begin this journey even if we started out in disadvantage. We don't have to stay there. With the map, we can find clarity and focus. So here we go. An expanded definition would be to nurture and train and support throughout life seasons. We recognize seasons change, right? I'm in the granddaddy phase. So raising a small family as a nuclear unit isn't my season now. But I still derive benefit and support from my family bond. Because this is a conversation, that touch point is about bonds that do produce a legacy. And God has an intention in that, in that bond. So we want to provide a nurturing, training, and supportive environment throughout life seasons, wherever you find yourself. Secondly, this is going to be achieved through intimate, close-knit relationships, relationships that involve commitment and communication. This will foster a sense of stability and well-being. This will produce the goal then to cultivate and therefore establish members of that family who are secure, mature, they are healthy and contributive. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not what we want for our kids? Gee, it also sounds a lot like the discipleship pathway in the family of faith. Interesting, there would not be disparity, but parallel. And then ultimately, this is being done so that we can have offspring that produce beneficial influence. That as family members and connected relationally, we are a beneficial influence in the world around us not just in our own family or to the next generation, but in society. And why are we doing all of this? Well, very simply, for the welfare and enrichment of lives and that God's kingdom purposes are advanced and that all of this glorify God because He's the one who created this on purpose for purpose. Would you agree? So even if we've come from a history of some disadvantage where this wasn't clear, it's not too late to tune in and see how God might work in our present situation. Now, you'll see at the bottom of the screen, we've got different types of family seasons and situations. You may find yourself in one or some or maybe all of these in some capacity. So let's take a look at different kinds of family. The reason why we want to mention this is that in a large church culture, like a large church family that we have, we're going to have all kinds of family circumstances in evidence. And we don't want you to think this is only a conversation about a nuclear family raising kids. It includes it, but it's not limited to that. So let's gain some definition here. I think of some of you here, in fact, maybe up to half of an urban congregation will still be in the single season. There's nothing wrong with that. I love what Pastor Marie says, that marriage does not complete you. God completes you. Marriage is a complementary partnership, but it's God who is our completer. Therefore, even if one is in a single season, as we all are at some point, then... Um, you're still connected relationally to people. There are still strong bonds of family. Would you agree? So even if you're an adult, you still got a mom and dad most likely. You got aunts and uncles and perhaps grandparents and siblings. So there is still relational connection with bonds that matter. Then we've got the nuclear family, the classic nuclear family of mom and dad and kids. And uh, that may include, like in my situation, extended family too. Uh, so Karen and I live in a, an extended family home, purpose-built. We have a common foyer and two separate worlds, but we can more easily connect. But even if you're not living in the same structure, you know, you could still be in the same city or maybe on the same continent and you can connect relationally with the grandchildren. But right there, you see that even though it's a nuclear family, there is still larger connection in relationship. 
and we are the cheapest babysitters handy, and we love to be manipulated that way. Uh, I've also got written down there my little acronym. This includes Manaki. And Manaki is my little acronym to describe like Jono and his new bride. They are Manaki. That is, they're married, no kids yet. May it be a prophecy. So the idea that we put them in the nuclear family because they are in that place of potential. Then there's the next group, the blended family. And I like that term because it well describes what's happening. Maybe there's a second marriage. Maybe like in my dad's situation, my mom died in an accident when I was five. My dad remarried when I was 11. I have a stepmother. And I also had three grandmothers as a consequence. And you know, it can be a rocky adjustment for step families to bond and blend. But can I say, having come through to the other side, hang in there. It was really worth it. I enjoy my stepmother. We have a good relationship. And while the blending bonding didn't come as naturally as might have due to disruption in circumstance, it goes to show you that with intention, there can be a way forward. And so the blended family would include the step-parenting, stepchildren, and then also ideas like adoption, uh, or fostering where maybe there's not that blood connection, but still we are bonding by choice and providence to bring into a family unit. Then finally here, we've got the missing member family. I describe it this way, that at some point you live long enough, we begin to lose people in our immediate world that were a, a contributing part. And it may not even happen later. Sometimes, like, you know, my mom died when I was five. There's a missing contributor or parents lose a child, or, or children lose a parent, or a grandparent that's close. You know, there are different ways that we can suffer loss. And these were relationships that were intended to be, but are not available now. That also, to me, includes the situation, uh, like, say, a, a solo parent. Maybe you never did marry. Maybe that person, you know, left you, and there was never that opportunity to have a relationship. So... Um, there are people who are doing life tough. What does it say in Romans 15? You who are strong, that is you who've got the advantage, help those who don't have the advantage. Again, the role of touch point to bring compensation and benefit where there are higher vulnerabilities. Or like with orphans, they are now being raised many times in an institutional unit, not a family, until providence allows them to be brought into something that's more intimate that can invest in them. So these are different ways we may find ourselves in some season, but all of it is about connecting and perhaps connecting even better, more effectively, that we can get, derive the best and give the best to those around us in need. Thank you, Pastor Syph. So in terms of us here today, how can we go about implementing sound biblical principles when it comes to building strong family relationships? Well, because there are so many situations, you could almost give something distinct for every one of those situations. But can I say, pulling back a bit to a broader idea, we belong to God and He loves us. And He sets us up for success in life. I remember when dedicating my daughter, the pastor said, you will never be a perfect dad, but you can be a lot more effective if you look for what your daughter needs and you strive to meet that need. That was really good advice, and it proved to be true. So in a similar way, here's a bigger idea for perhaps all of us, regardless of our situation. I find that over the years of being married and parenting and now grandparenting, that Jesus gives us the mark, and that is from Mark chapter 12, verse 31. That is, you treat your neighbor like you'd like to be treated. And frankly, there is no closer neighbor than my wife. 
or my children, or looking backward in time, if you will, my parents. The idea is these are the closest bonds, potentially, in my life. And yet, so many times, there is such a familiarity, and in the busyness of life, we get distracted, and we can fail to appreciate the ones we say we love the most. We can be more worried about being a good witness to our neighbor or that difficult colleague and treat our neighbor like we'd like, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we can't forget that these who are closest to us deserve that best investment, I would say. So I don't know about you. I know that you can never imagine that Karen and I would ever have any tension in our lives. He's 35 years, but just talking hypothetically. Um, imagine if we had a point of conflict or tension. You know, and having to work that out in our lives, I'll never forget one time the Holy Spirit rather upbraided me and reminded me, hey, bud, you made a vow how, that you would treat her with honor and deference and service. And, you know, remember, treat your neighbor like you'd like to be treated means you want mercy when you mess up, so give mercy. And you expect God to be patient and enduring with you, then you be patient and enduring. And, you know, beginning to humble oneself into a role of servant, not Lord, and begin to treat one's neighbor like you'd like to be treated, I can assure you that does strengthen relationship ties that bind. And that's why it is the second commandment. But it's funny how in life we sometimes need to come back around and refresh that focus. So if that happens for us, there's no criticism here. It's really great to have a reminder we can realign and relationships benefit when we do. Awesome, Pastor. So, John, do you have any perspective on that? Yeah, I'm being recently married, uh, you know, going into to marriage, going through pre-marriage counseling, they, they emphasize that communication is key to building a successful relationship, a successful family. And uh, a biblical principle that I go back to time and time again, both with my family, my now new family, with my wife, is uh, effective communication is about speaking the truth in love. And so making sure that it's not just truth the way I see it, the way I feel, because that's the filter, but that has to be run through the filter of love, that uh, my, my wife has to know that I love her, that she can feel that first before I can speak truth about how a certain situation is. So that's a biblical principle I'm still outworking. And I, I think that is so important for all of us, that those family relationships are the ones we, again, like Pastor Sai said, can take for granted, and we skip that step of the love. We go straight to the truth, and um, whether that's my dad, mum, sister, it's a massive issue if we're not taking the time in terms of that journey, so I love that. Awesome piece of advice. You also come from a cross-cultural background when it comes to, you know, your family dynamics growing up. How has that played out with communication and different aspects of that dynamic? Yeah, in, in my context, uh, my, my parents were immigrants from Malaysia, uh, so I moved here when I was seven. So I grew up in a Kiwi context, whereas they had been brought up, everything that they knew was, uh, I guess, an Asian culture, uh, a, a worldview. And so growing up, uh, that experience of having to navigate that between parents' expectations of what our relationship was going to look like versus my expectations when I had... Um, Western Kiwi friends that had a very different dynamic at home uh, to my own. So something that I've kind of, through the fullness of time, come to realize is that uh, kingdom culture transcends ethnic culture, uh, that the Bible has principles of how to do family relationship that, uh, that models, that, that out, yeah, transcends anything else, whether it's Kiwi culture, whether it's uh, Malaysian culture, uh, that that is the model that God has intended for us. 
Is there anything from that Asian culture that you think maybe as Kiwis we miss out on or do poorly? Uh, I, I think it's the, the honouring of, uh, of elders. So, um, you know, people that have lived a life, whether or not you agree with their decisions or, or not, but that they have journeyed through a process. I think that's something that uh, sometimes growing up as a Kiwi were quite, you know, like, I'm young, I, I know better, whereas... In Asian culture, it's kind of inbred that you, you make sure that you honour your, your elders. Otherwise, you find out about it. I am reasonably confident that's in Proverbs somewhere. So, um, very biblical, very biblical. Hey, uh, Caroline. Now, I get to work with Caroline. Amazing lady. But she is the most intentional person you will ever meet. She's, she mentioned before that she was in charge of or overseeing the rollout of Next Steps. This thing got rolled out like a military campaign. I'm telling you, like, it's like we were invading a country. There was just, everyone knew their task. We were on point. And if we weren't, we knew about it. And um, are you as intentional with your family, Caroline? I have to say, yeah, I am. So in the first service, my husband was rapidly nodding his head saying, yes, yes, she is. Um, I guess I'm intentional um, because I, I, I really, it's something that's inside of me, but I look at my past and I go, okay, I want to make some intentional changes. Um, and when it comes to both, um, I guess, when I look at my family, I, if I give you a snapshot of my upbringing that might put into to context um, the why behind my intentionality when it comes to making choices about what we would do within our family. So... Um, my dad uh, came from a family where both his parents were alcoholics. It wasn't uncommon for him to uh, walk home from the pub as a child by himself. Dinner table, there'd be a lot of fighting for food and fending for himself. Um, so life was, a, life was a challenge for him. And then um, my mum, similar kind of background. Um, her dad was an alcoholic and also a lot of uh, physical abuse in their family. So when you put my parents together, you've got two worlds colliding in marriage. And then you throw children into the mix. So my mum was 19 when she got pregnant with me. And so you can imagine um, what that was like. It was quite a volatile situation, very explosive growing up as, as a child in a family where there's a lot of arguing and fighting that went on. And for me, I looked at that as, a, as an adult and went, I want to change a generation. And if I can um, bring some encouragement to the table this morning that it is possible by being intentional that you can actually change a generation. So um, for me, um, one of the key things that my husband and I talked about was communication and that we wanted our kids to be able to communicate freely with each other um, and with us. And so, um, you know, as a child growing up, I didn't have that um, opportunity to talk freely with my mum and dad. It was just something that, that didn't happen. Um, and one of the key things within our family that we decided to do was that we wanted to do family around uh, dinner time as a family around the table. And I believe communication is just the, the centre point. If you can get communication happening right, then everything else falls into alignment. And you'd be surprised around the dinner table, the, the communication and the things that come out of that. Um, I've had a recent win in our family. My daughter's going through adolescence, so it's one of those challenging seasons. But... Um, she came to me and she asked me all these questions and was talking to me about it. And then unbeknownst to me, she's having a conversation with her dad at the same time and asking him all these questions. And he comes to me, running up to me, he goes, 
has Emily talked to you about this? And I'm like, yeah, she has. But for me, what it was, was it was like, excellent. My daughter can actually talk to us freely and that she wasn't embarrassed. She could ask the hard questions. And so something that's hugely important. And the other thing I wanted to encourage everyone with today is if you're single and... um, I was intentional when I was single when it came to relationships and communication. Um, So much so that I actually um, put myself in a family. I I looked at this family who I thought were fantastic mentors and uh, long story short, ended up living with them. And um, they were like a healthy role model for me. Um, I also intentionally picked out um, people who I thought were awesome and were doing life in a healthy way and and sought them out and had conversations with them. And I'd encourage you, if you're single here today, that, you know, we're talking, you know, and sometimes in in the line of family, but in the context of being single, you can do that as well. You can change a generation by just simply making that intentional choice. I'd love to chime in and just say what what I really hear... Uh, and it's, it's worth pointing out, it certainly marked and changed my life too. And it's a very important counseling truth. And that is the issue of awareness. That is, John O, now not single but married, has come into a new awareness that requires adjustment yeah. and adapting to his new reality. Because adapting brings risk, doesn't it? It brings the potential of friction and, and the risk to work against relationship bonding. But instead, being aware of this, he's able to address that with an intention that encourages that communication so that his true heart is known and that strengthens the bond. And what I love about that, too, is like in Caroline's life, where that disadvantage existed... Um, it ended up working in your favor, not against you. So you would have said you came to the table somewhat at a deficit of knowing healthy relationship bonding. But at the end of the day, she made this kind of intentional decision. I know what I don't want, and I know what I don't like, and I know what it doesn't work, so I'm going to find what does. And therefore, she found through that intention a way forward. But it involved awareness. Sometimes before you find your solution, you have to see what you don't like and what you don't want. Well, she knew that part. And so God led her forward in finding some really practical solutions that came out of relationship communion. And I like that word communion because communion is more than a ritual. Jesus paid a high price so that we could relate to God and one another as family. And the idea that I learned also from my own wife's family, you know, uh, I was a single kid from a broken home and God brought me into a marvelous home group, uh, you know, a connect group, if you will. Uh, in, in my church, and I was in a broken relationship with my dad and stepmother, did not see them for almost five years. So I really needed a compensation, and God gave it in the skin of his people. And the man who was my home group leader became the best man at my wedding, and he exampled. He did not sit me down and lecture me on five points of better living, but the way he lived as a responsible, healthy husband, father, and man after God's heart spoke volumes to me in the middle of my vacuum. So don't underestimate the way that your natural life lived can impact and echo in someone. And Karen, here I came from an only child home, a broken one, and I married one of North America's four functional families. My wife is one of seven children. I married a village of, I don't know, 42 immediate in-laws, and very loving, and the family meal was the ritual like Caroline described, a touch point that whatever the rough and tumble of the world, whatever our varied opinions, we know we love each other. 
We've got each other's back. We're here for one another. This is the place you get refreshed in knowing who you are and whose you are. So whatever comparing or competing or combating, you've got to go out and face. This is your wellspring. From it, you can spring forward into the world and face it because here you are affirmed and nurtured and nourished. And you know, even if you didn't get that yet in your family, we have a new father and we have a new family of opportunity where he says he puts those emotionally starved in the new family. More about that later. But how true it is that with that awareness and intention produces, well, deliberate communication and effort to make something better that we don't have to repeat those old patterns of the past and we can spring forward into something a lot better. Fantastic, Pastor. So I thank you. My, my personal experience isn't one from a brokenness. Um, I grew up in an amazing family, had just parents that were so engaged and grew up in a again, great Christian home. And I think for those of us who have been in that scenario, there's also a trap in that we can become quite insular. You can become quite inward focused. And again, just as I've gone on in life, I've been really challenged that um, to whom much is given much is also expected. So I just love what you're saying again, Caroline, about a family making themselves open and available awesome. to be able to create opportunities for others that haven't experienced that to experience that. That's so crucial. And I think that's important for us as a church. That's the place of strength we should be living from. So guys, thank you so much for your wisdom today. Uh, I think we'd all agree family relationships are so important. They're not just something to be survived, navigated. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're actually a foundation for doing life well. And by being intentional, we've heard today that we can, again, seek to repair, build, or create new, strong, biblical family relationships. And it just takes some intentionality in doing that. Some forgiveness, maybe. Uh, taking some uncomfortable steps. But by committing to making that investment, it does pay significant dividends. And if we as a church were committed to outworking that, it would be something where um, just a pathway would be created for unsaved members of our families to come to know God. It would set in place um, biblical patterns for future generations. And it would add a strength, a resilience to our own families, whereby we can then be open and available to others. And I love that. I love that. If we as a church outworked that, it would be something quite different to the rest of society. It would be something that would be attractive. It would stand out. And it would point people towards our awesome Father in heaven. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.